Good morning. <clears throat> Good snowy morning. <laughs> After yesterday, anyways. Um, the altars are open, as always, but especially now. During times of prayer, during times of calling out to God so that your church family can come around you, whether that be physically or spiritually, and pray for you. So let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the life you've called us to live, the craziness there in it, the good things, the bad things, Lord. I thank you for. Because without your breath in me, I wouldn't be able to experience any of it. And the good far outweighs the bad even when it seems like it doesn't. Lord, I pray this morning that whatever words you have for us, whether they've been through worship and music, whether they're in this next time with you, Lord, through prayer, or whether they're through the words that you've given Judy this morning, or whether through the fellowship with each other this morning. I pray that we would take them, receive them deep into who we are, hear them, understand, and live through them for you, Lord. not only for ourselves, but for this Christ community that we live in and for the kingdom that you called us to build. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. goodness 
of God, I will sing of the goodness of Thank you, worship team. We always appreciate uh, what you bring for us every Sunday. And good morning, everybody. It's good to see everybody in God's house. We're going to uh, do a little bit different on the announcements. We're going to kind of let them scroll through uh, as we just talk about maybe a few things that are new this week or coming up. Uh, the board will be uh, figuring out what exactly we're going to do for Easter this year. We hope to have that message for you uh, next Sunday as far as you know, the service times and the different, um, different things that will be going on. So uh, we always look forward to that because, like I said, that means spring is on the way, unlike that stuff that's out there now, right? But uh, snow is fun too. So uh, the men had to cancel their breakfast yesterday. Imagine that. Um, common thing in the wintertime, right, Nate? Boo. Um, we were going to reschedule it, but we didn't want to bump the ladies out. So we figured we would, they're doing the third Saturday, so that's, not this Saturday, but the following one. So uh, the men will just try it again next month. Um, but it's still possible to get snow, so, you know, fingers crossed. Uh, other than that, um, as always, we thank you for your tithes and offerings. Uh, we can't do what we do here without your faithful support. Uh, we encourage you to uh, maybe participate in a, in a Bible study during the week. We have a, a few different offerings for those. Uh, if you'd like more information, it's right there on the screen. Um, but uh, if you have any questions about that, feel free to ask either me or Franklin or any, anybody here. Um, and with that said, um, Martha's reading our scripture this morning, right? Come on up. Thank you. Good morning. This morning I'm reading from John 14, <clears throat> verses 1 through 7. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. God is so good. And thank you, worship team, for 
preparing our hearts for what God has for us this morning. And thank you, Martha, for reading the scripture. You know, if we think about it, a lot of times these verses are shared at funerals, but there's a powerful message here for us. Let's pray before we look into the word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and your goodness and your faithfulness to us. Thank you for your word. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would speak to our hearts this morning through your word and through your Holy Spirit. You know exactly what we need. And Lord, we just pray that you would meet us right where we are at this morning, and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to be right up front with you this morning. My homiletics teacher, professor from college, would kind of be appalled at my message this morning. Usually we were taught to do three points. But last week we looked at John chapter 13 and the washing of the feet of the disciples and prepared our hearts to share communion together. Today we're going to touch base on John chapters 14 through 16, some highlights there. But some of the promises that Jesus gave to his disciples in that upper room. I have eight of them. It's not going to take a long time to go through these. One builds on the other. But I think we need this reminder as we go through these days. Let me ask you a question. How many of you remember playing hide-and-seek as a child? And some of you probably hide and play hide-and-seek with your children and grandchildren. It's fun, isn't it? You know, one person would be cover his eyes while and count to either 10 or 100 or some designated number while the others went and hid. And then the one covering their eyes would uncover their eyes when they reached that point and say, ready or not, here I come. And then those who had hidden were good and those who were not, sometimes we caught, caught before we could hide. It, it was a fun game, wasn't it? Jesus is here in the upper room, talking with his disciples. And it sounds very confusing as he shares with them. And he's not playing a game of hide and seek with them, but as we think about this, and as we think about what he's sharing, he's not sharing, ready or not, here I come, but more, ready or not, here I go, I'm leaving, you're on your own, folks. But he doesn't leave them on, his, on their own. He gives them some powerful teachings to help them as they prepare for what is next. Jesus was, ask, was asking and seeking to prepare his disciples for his departure. He had already told them that he was going to be leaving them, that he was going to be put to death on the cross, that they would be taking over his ministry. He had already warned them of that. He had spent three years teaching them, training them, working with them, equipping them for this day. And now, as they are gathered together in that upper room, Judas has already gone out because he was going out to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus takes these last few moments to teach them and to train them and equip them for what lie ahead. And I'll be honest with you, they did not yet fully understand. They still thought he was going to be setting up an earthly kingdom. They did not understand that he was going to be leaving, going back to his heavenly father to prepare something far better. The first promise we are given here is a place prepared, a home in heaven. John 14, 1 through 4, we read, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. 
In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. I'm going to be honest with you. When I do funerals, there's usually two passages of scripture that people ask for. One is the 23rd Psalm because it speaks of comfort and it also speaks of dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. The second one is here from John chapter 14. People long for need that reminder that Jesus was going to heaven to prepare a place for them. But let's look at this passage of scripture. Jesus begins by saying, do not or don't let your hearts be troubled. That word troubled here is a very strong word in the Greek language, and it actually means to shudder, to shudder with fear, to shudder with anxiety. What was Jesus saying to the disciples? He's saying, don't be troubled, don't be anxious, don't be fretful, don't be overwhelmed, don't let your faith be shaken. And he challenged them, don't let your hearts be troubled, trust in God. You trust in God, now trust in me. And the sense of the Greek word here means to keep on trusting. As you have trusted me in the past, as you have trusted God in the past, keep on trusting. Keep your faith in me. Trust. Trust is the antidote to fear and anxiety, isn't it? To trust God. I remember an incident years ago from the, when I was teaching at the Bible study at the Vilas home. And we had a good group of people, and I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of time, most weeks, I was the only Protestant there. Most weeks, I had a classroom full of Catholics. In fact, I was privileged to have a retired Catholic priest in that Bible study. And he would, he would just literally run down the hall to get there to that study. And one day he came in, and he could see that I was troubled over something. And he said, Judy, what's going on? What's wrong? And I started to say something, and he looked at me with his big blue eyes, and he said, what would Jesus say to you? Uh, we'd been talking about faith. We'd been talking about trust. And I just had to let out a little giggle. I said, yeah, Jesus would say, trust me. And this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Trust me. Keep on trusting me. I know what's happening. I'm going to be leaving, but I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven. Isn't that wonderful? And he says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back. We're still waiting for his return, aren't we? We're still waiting for his return, but he has promised us that he will come back to take us home to be with him. Where was that home? Where was that place? It sounds mysterious, doesn't it? But he was talking about that home, that home in heaven. And some talk about mansions. I think one translation talks about mansions, that he's going to prepare a mansion for us. And I've had some people say to me, I don't care about a mansion. I don't care what I have, just as long as I am in heaven with him. Wow. Promise number two as a way to the Father, as not just a home that he's preparing for us. It's a home 
with our Heavenly Father. Look at verses 6 and 7 of John 14. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus didn't tell his disciples that he would show them the way to the Father. He says, I am the way. I am the only way to the Father. The world would try to tell us there's lots of different ways. But in all reality, Jesus says there's one way, and that's through me. Wow. Philip objected. He said, Lord, show us a father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus responded, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. He had come. He had come to point them to the heavenly father. He had come to prepare a place for them in heaven. He was going to prepare a place for them in heaven so that they could be there with him, so that they could be there with the heavenly father. That's beautiful, isn't it? That's beautiful. I'm going to be honest with you in counseling folks. There are many who have not known the blessing of an earthly father. They don't know the joy of a father to teach them and to train them the way a father should. In fact, in our household, we've had a number of Brandon's friends who have not had fathers that have found some guidance through, through my husband who became like a dad to them. But you know what? As Christians, we have, we have not just an earthly father. We have a heavenly father who loves us, who cares for us, who takes care of us, who wants us to be with him in heaven. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Promise number three, greater things will you do. John 14, verse 12, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. These are different words, aren't they? Anyone who has faith in me. That's the key, isn't it? That's the key. Anyone who has faith in me. It's not just somebody off the street that's going to start doing these things. Our faith has to be in Jesus Christ. We have to have that relationship with Jesus Christ. And God will use us in ways that it's hard for us sometimes to imagine. I'm going to be honest with you. I've been following the story of a pastor friend in Pennsylvania. He has planted two churches down there. Over the last couple of weeks, the Lord has given him an opportunity to go into a local school. It's a Christian school to share his testimony, to share how God touched him and changed him and is using him. And he has shared testimony after testimony on Facebook about how God is speaking to those children in that school. The little ones are hungry for the teachings that he has brought. The older ones are repenting of their sins and coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because this pastor is allowing God to use him to speak into the hearts of these children. I don't know his whole testimony. I do know that he spent some time in prison. And I'm sure he's using and building on that to teach these children. But God is using him in mighty, powerful ways. And the promise here that Jesus gave his disciples, 
I will use you to do great things, but you've got to keep your faith in me. You've got to keep following me. You've got to keep walking with me. Isn't that wonderful? We're hearing stories of revival in different places across the world. God is at work, and he's at work through ordinary people like you and me. There's one story that came out of Asbury Seminary, and God is doing great and wonderful things there, but somebody shared the story of a grocer who lives across from the seminary, who lives across from the chapel, who over the years has heard of needs in the community and taken and dropped off groceries to those who are without, planting seeds. We do not always know what God is doing, but sometimes it's those little things that make a difference. Promise number four, along with greater things, is fruitfulness. John 15, verses four through eight. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself and must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. If I had thought ahead of time before the snowstorm came, yeah, Friday into Saturday, I would have gone out and got a piece of our, a grapevine that we have in our front yard. A piece of vine, a branch, separated from the vine, what can it do? Nothing. It can't produce fruit. It can't produce anything. It's useless, except to be thrown into the fire and burned. Or some people now take the branches, the grapevine, and make wreaths and all kinds of things. But it can't bear fruit. It can't bear fruit. Part of this passage that we did not read talks about the pruning that takes place to make a branch more fruitful. I'm going to be honest with you. My father had on his property a grapevine. Magnificent looking grapevine. Foliage was beautiful. But you know what? It hadn't been pruned. The old had not been cut out. The excess branches had not been cut out. So it did not bear fruit. All the growth, all everything was going into the vine and into the branches. There comes a point where there needs to be pruning. And Jesus says, I am the vine. My father is the gardener. He is the one that does the pruning and prepares us. If you're going through hard times, that may be God pruning you so that you will be even more fruitful. And what kind of fruit does a Christian bear? Not apples, not oranges, not grapes. I see in the gospel accounts three kinds of fruit that the Christian bears. 
The first is the fruit of repentance, the fruit of changed lives. If we, have, if we say that we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, there's going to be evidence, isn't there? There's going to be a changed life. There's going to be changes in keeping with that new faith. There's also going to be the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Galatians 5, and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we are living close to the Lord and he is working in us and the Holy Spirit is at work in us, those characteristics will be produced. They show that we are becoming more like Jesus Christ. They show that we are becoming more like the one we have chosen to follow. There will also be the fruit of soul saved, other people coming to Jesus Christ because of our lives. But how does this happen? We have to stay close to the Lord, don't we? We have to remain or abide in him. We have to remain or abide in his word. But we also have to remain and abide in his love for us. So key, so key. May God help us. We are called to be fruit bearers. He's looking for that fruit in our lives. Is he seeing it? Is he finding it? If we stay close to him and walk in him, he will do an amazing work in our hearts and in our lives. Promise number five is power in prayer or answered prayer. Does God answer prayer? Does God answer prayer? I'm going to be honest with you. We've had a number of amazing yet scary answers to prayer this week. But God does hear God does answer. Let me share a few scriptures. John 14, verses 13 and 14. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Jesus promised his disciples that they would know and experience answered prayer. They would experience effectiveness in prayer as they asked the Father in the name of Jesus. John 15, 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. John 16, verses 23 through 27, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language. He will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Quite a few verses here talk about asking the Father in the name of Jesus and hearing or receiving answers to our prayers. How many of you know that God answers prayer? 
How many of you have seen that God answers prayer? We've had several scary things that have happened in our family this week, and I'll tell you, God answers prayer. And I'm going to tell you this morning, those of you who have children, grandchildren, keep them in your prayers. This week, our son had a couple of incidents, and I'm not going to share it from the pulpit, that were really scary. But you know what? Every time he goes out, we pray. We've had other things going on. My husband's had some health issues. We pray. And what happens? God hears and God answers. This doesn't mean if you ask him for a Mercedes-Benz, he's going to give it to you. This doesn't mean if you ask him for a million bucks, he's going to give it to you. Our prayers have to be consistent with the Father's will for us. And those prayers that we pray to him need to come from a heart of love for our Heavenly Father. They are based on our relationship with him. The real key to effectiveness in prayer is found back in John 15 where it talks about abiding in him, remaining in him, staying connected with him and his word and in our relationship with him. That's the key, isn't it? We can't just go and do our own thing and expect he's going to answer us and take care of us. We have to stay in that close relationship with him. Promise number six. He's promised another counselor, the Holy Spirit. Jesus had been with his disciples. He had taught them. He had trained them. He had set an example for them. He took them out on training missions. He worked one-on-one -on -one with them. And as he's getting ready to go back to heaven, he knows that they're going to be alone. But he also knows that God is making a provision and will provide another counselor, the Holy Spirit. John 14, verses 15 through 19. And there's verses throughout John 14, 15, and 16 that talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit. But these verses, if you ask, if you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you, oh, just for a few days? No, it says to be with you, what, forever. Wow, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. He lives with you and will be with you. And then listen to this part. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That's powerful, isn't it? He was going back to the Father, but he says, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I am going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. We know the rest of the story. We know that Jesus was put to death on that cross, was buried in a, in a borrowed tomb because he did not need to be there forever, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and then sent the Holy Spirit on that day of Pentecost, as recorded in Acts chapter 2. But what a powerful truth this is. Jesus would not leave his followers as orphans. Wow. They would not be abandoned, isolated, or left alone. He would send another comforter, another counselor, and the Greek word is parakletos, 
one who would be with them forever. And that Greek word means one who comes alongside. It's actually a legal term. And we see that played out in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, where he talks about an advocate when they sinned. They had an advocate with a father, one who would come alongside, and that's the same word. We have one who comes alongside us. We have one who not only comes alongside, but actually lives in us, who will faithfully, faithfully meet our every need. Isn't that wonderful? He's an intercessor. He's an advocate. He is one who pleads for us. And I'm going to be honest with you, I saw a new meaning to this a few days ago when I was looking at an old, old, old commentary, and it's one I had just picked up at a yard sale, and it describes the Holy Spirit, the parakletos, as a strengthener, as one who comes and gives us the strength that we need whenever we need it as we're going through those hard times. And I'll tell you, there's times we need it, isn't there? There are times we need to that comfort of one with us. Jesus knew he would no longer be able to be with his disciples, but he was sending them the promised Holy Spirit to be with them forever, to teach them, to guide them, to walk with them, to be with them. And you know what? That promise is for us too. He has given us his Holy Spirit to live within us. Those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord have that comfort of his presence with us. Promise number seven, peace. Oh man, what they were going through and the struggle they were going through, can you imagine him giving them that promise of peace? John 14, 27, these are familiar words to us. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. The days ahead would not be problem-free for those disciples. They would be filled with turmoil, with bewilderment, with anxiety. Their lives would be on the line because they were followers of Jesus Christ. They would be persecuted. Life was not going to be easy. Yet Jesus promised the, the disciples that he was leaving them with a very precious gift, that gift of peace. Not just any peace. It's not like the world gives. You, you've seen the peace that the world gives. It's, it's nothing. It does not last. It is so up and down and here and there. But he promised them his peace. His peace. John 16, says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What is the real test of peace? I'll tell you, the real test of peace is not when everything is going well. The real test of peace is in the storms, and the hard times, and the troubled times. And the picture that comes to my mind of peace is of that little bird in its nest on a branch out over a waterfall with a wind whipping at it. And it's just, they're just as calm as can be. Can we have that same sense of calm in the midst of the storms of life that we go through? Yes, we can because of Jesus Christ. It is his peace that will hold us steady 
through those hard times, through those storms. Promise number eight, and this is the last one, and it's joy. It's joy. John 15, 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And then John 16, verses 19 through 22, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. He compares what they are going to be going through after his departure to that of a woman giving birth to a child. And men, you don't understand, but women who have had children understand that pain, that very difficult pain of giving birth to a child. And some women have no problems, they have no issues, and some of us have had hours and hours and hours and hours of painful labor. And yet when that child is born, when you look at that face, when you hold that little one, when you look at the fingers and you count the toes, what joy. The pain of that childbirth is erased, isn't it? When you hold that little one in his arms. Jesus knew what was coming for those disciples. He knew that his death would cause overwhelming grief for his disciples. But he also knew that his death and absence from them would only be temporary. They would see him again, and their grief would be turned to great joy. No matter what the future held for them, no matter what it held, they would be given a joy that could not be taken away. And it's hard to understand. Joy is a lot different than happiness. Happiness is based on outward happiness, circumstances, things that come into our lives. Joy is much deeper, isn't it? Joy is within the heart. After my father died back in 2018, um, for a number of years I had chosen a, a new word to focus on during each year. When we came to January of 2019, what would that word be? The word, Lord gave me that word, joy. Joy? After losing my father? Joy, having to deal with some family issues. Joy, having to deal with the settling of my father's estate. Joy. I'll be honest with you. I bought a notebook and started working on a journal. And I'll tell you, even though my heart was breaking at the loss we had suffered, the Lord brought verse after verse of scripture to me, speaking of the joy that he gives. And I'll tell you, the Lord did bring joy 
through that very, very difficult time. Joy doesn't come from us. It comes from him. And this is what he promised his disciples. He promised them a joy that would last. Boy, there are some wonderful promises here in these chapters. And there's more. I know there's more. These are just some for us to focus on this morning. He promised his disciples and us a home in heaven. He promised that we would be with the Father forever. Isn't that wonderful? He promised greater things will you do. He promised effectiveness or fruitfulness in life and ministry. He promised answers to prayer or effectiveness in prayer, power in prayer. He promised another counselor. He promised the Holy Spirit. He promised peace. He promised joy. And nothing could take these away. Wow, these promises are, are precious, aren't they? And this is what sustained those disciples after when Jesus was taken away, arrested, put to death, and then rose again. And as they went on to ministry, these promises sustained them. What about us? I'm going to tell you this morning, these promises are for us as well. These promises are for us as well. The worship team can make their way to the front at this time. These promises are for us as well. Jesus didn't promise his disciples, and he doesn't promise us that everything will always go well. But he does promise he will help us through those times. He has provided everything, everything we need. Are you trusting him to take you through? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for what you teach us. You know us this morning. You know what each one of us needs. Whatever promise it is that has spoken to our hearts, help us to cling to those promises. Help us to cling. But help us to walk so close to you that the storms, the problems, the troubles of life cannot separate us from you, cannot quench our faith. Lord, be with us in these closing moments. Do your work here in our hearts and in our lives, and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand. There's no silver or gold and no treasure untold that could draw me away from your heart. Neither love of myself or of anyone else will do. Jesus, nothing compares to this grace that rescues me. I know I 
again. Thank you, worship team. What a powerful way to end the service. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your unending love for us. And Lord, if there is anyone here who does not yet know the power, the majesty, the greatness of your love, may they find that before they walk out the door this morning. And Lord, draw each one of us closer to you and help each one of us to walk close to you, to stay close to you, to stay close to your word, to stay in your love. Be with us now as we go our separate ways. Watch over us and keep us in your care until we meet again. And we ask that you would help us, that our lives would be a radiant witness and testimony to those around us, to those in our community of your love and of your grace. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.